You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman. As always, I'm a staff at IndieCoinRose.com and one of the co-hosts of the Locked On Pacers podcast. On today's episode, it's all me, all solo, talking about the Knicks game's bonus great performance, Oladipo's closeouts, and some of the struggles of the team. Quick note, before we get to this podcast, we are going to skip a Friday pod. I'm going to be doing a podcast with a special guest for the Saturday Celtics game. Check out that weekend podcast. But we are going to skip a Friday podcast on the Bulls for that, um, mainly because the Bulls stink and I don't see reason to preview the Bulls. Um, sorry to all Bulls fans of this podcast and people who are fans of this podcast, but we're going to skip Friday, have a special edition Saturday podcast with uh, one of the Locked On Celtics co-hosts, who is actually one of, I think, the best co-hosts on the Locked On Network, so he's going to be with us on on Saturday, so check that out before the Pacers, probably best game week against the Boston Celtics. Now let's get to today's show. Pacers win 107-101. to 101. Uh, It was a probably closer than expected game, at least when I expected the Knicks are not a very good team this year, especially that Porzingis. Um, it felt like they were going to almost blow it until the very end. Uh, they trailed four heading into the third. They had to overcome, basically have a 9-0 run to extend a lead to even kind of, I think they were down 97-94 and they went up 103-107. Uh, then the Knicks came back to cut it to 103-101, but then Vic closed it out with a huge three after a complete bomb of a ball by uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. However, where I want to start is with the highlight of the game and the player that highlighted this whole thing, and that was DeMontis Sabonis. They adjusted his stat line before I did this podcast. He was 12 of 12 for 30 points, 6 of 7 from the free throw line, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 blocks. He was by far the most consistent and best pacer player tonight. Uh, he has maybe been by far the second most consistent player behind Petrillo Depot for the Pacers this season. If it wasn't for foul trouble, which the bonus did foul out with 6 fouls and only played 21 minutes, he probably could have scored 40 points. I mean, he had any shot any post-up that he wanted, he was getting. The Knicks would switch things down low. He'd get a small guy at him. Didn't matter. Had Kanan at times beat him up. Vonley at times beat him up. Um, it just didn't matter for Sabonis. And I did like how the Pacers went with him at the end instead of Turner. And this game, to me, feels like a turning point. Um, I still think Turner is a fantastic rotation player of this Pacer team. I think he will still start. But I think this game offensively showed really what Sabonis could do if kind of run an offense run through him. When they need scoring, he is a guy, and he can be competent enough on the defensive end to be worth playing. And I think this could be a turning point where Sabonis starts finishing game for the Pacers. I think if Sabonis didn't get six fouls, first of all, he would have definitely ended the game. He was going into the game until he fouled out. But he would have played 30 minutes. Probably would have played 30, and Turner would have played only 24 or 25. Um, you know, I know Turner got a couple fouls early on, and that's, that's also why Sabonis got in. But I think this is a turning point in the sense that when the Pacers need a number two offensive player, you know, we thought it was Tyler Evans. Not so much. He struggled tonight. He's kind of been up and down. I think he had that big three-point game against the Spurs tonight. I think he had every pull-up three. You know, you can still see with his ability to pass. Um, he has the bonus on some really good passes, but he he's just not the number two guy I think I thought of him right now. Maybe when he develops more in the system. Bogdanovich, we'll talk about him later, not a clutch bone in his body in my opinion. He can't be there offensively. Thad Young is not doesn't have a go-to offensive move that's good enough to beat your number two score in the games. Then you got Darren Collison, who could be, but again, he's too small, and he's not aggressive enough, and he doesn't have the 
the breakaway speed he used to have to be your go-to end of game score next to Vic. So that leaves you with guys off the bench. Sabonis is the answer. He's the answer to this. Who is the number two guy when you put Vic out? I think he was the answer in the playoffs last year even. And now this game kind of solidified that, that you can run an offensive, an effective offense that can beat to the end of games and close games if you have Vic and Sabonis. I think you can run pick and roll all day. You know, the threat, because Sabonis is so good on the pick and roll and the ability to pass the ball to the center, that they cannot double team Vic. And if they do, is Vic gets the ball to Sabonis, he will make a play. He will either get into, take the four on three and score or kick it out to somebody open in the corner. And that is where this Pacers team is going to have to thrive in close games on the Sabonis and Oladipo, you know, combination. And that's why I think Turner's days, honestly, as the finishing game center are numbered. I think defensively, you finish with him. When you're up five, you're up 10, yeah, you bring Turner right and close the game out. He's that kind of defensive player. He won't, usually he's very competent defensively and he can he'll be fine offensively, but, and he won't give up, you know, he'll protect the lane and close in games where you have a lead. But it's kind of like, um, you know, when you're going back and forth or you're down a few points, you don't want Turner in there because he's not a good enough player on offense to really help you come back, you know, say you're down four or whatever. He doesn't provide enough, and then it kind of puts Vic out there on an island by himself. Now there's nights where Vic will by himself carry this team. Um, you know, in the last two minutes, he really did that. He sort of just took the ball and said, I'm going to do this. I think, you know, hit it that huge corner three, hit that that step up, um, sorry, that pull up three. So Vic did do that. Vic definitely can do that, but I think the antidote to, to not relying on Vic at all moments, end of the games, is a bonus, and this feels like the turning point for him. This feels like the game where we all look back to and say that was the moment that Sabonis basically surpassed Turner as the better end-of-game center for the Pacers. Um, it's worth talking about with Oladipo that, one, look at his stat line. I would have guessed, I mean, I think it was mid-game at some point. He was 8 of 15. I would have guessed he was 8 of 20. He, you know, is taking a lot of shots, taking a lot of mid-range shots, taking a lot of just pull-up threes. I didn't think he had it tonight. At times, he took a couple of just three-point pull-ups that were just, like, hit the side of the rim. He looked tired at times because he was really pushing himself defensively um, at times. He made a couple huge steals that really flipped the game. Um, one to kind of go up by one, I believe, at the 94-93 mark. That was a huge steal that sort of flipped the game. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to say Vic offensively was a dud because he was 10 of 18 for 24 points, and he, he did what we what he has done in the past, which I hadn't yet seen, and that was just close it out. You know, the Pacers got tight. They went up, they went up really... 97 on a steal. I think it was 97. You take the steal on 97, 96. Um, then they were, you know, then they were up 197, and they needed somebody who could just close out the game. He nailed the three, went up by six. That felt like the closeout three, but it wasn't. They came back, cut it to two, and they got the corner three and drained it. And that's that's what kind of I thought the Pacers were missing from him was that ability just to close out the game. Um, you know, Vic hasn't yet kind of had that wowzer game and i'm not sure he will this year he seems like the kind of guy who settled into maybe his 22 points per game and five rebounds and five assists which is weird if you look at his stat line right it's kind of a slight dip compared to last season right just a little bit points you know fewer points per game um i guess a little bit fewer i mean a little more assists and a little more rebounds right if you look at overall stats you go across the years down about a point up about assist and a rebound and that's where i kind of had thought that's where it was going to come from that he was going to become more of a 22 point a game guy with six and seven but it's almost it's kind of like i think i've settled into this idea where it's a given that he's a 20 point a game and that's the point where he wasn't at last year when he started the season and that's where he's at now i mean he is by far and away an awesome player he's 20 points every night and he's just like consistently tries hard on defense 100 percent. i mean he's kind of everything you wanted out of paul george but post-injury but paul george sort of settled into this like half-assing on defense sometimes and then giving it his all when it mattered where old was 110 percent at all moments and that's what i like about him 
Um, but I mean, closing it out, I mean, you just got to give him credit for what he did. He completely just took this, said, I'm the best player on this team. We need somebody who will just take the shot and drain it and did that. And it's encouraging because it sort of shows another evolution in Vic. You know, we knew he closed that games last year, but now it's sort of like, even instead of, you know, relying on just the pick and roll to the rim, he's just taking threes and he's hitting them when they're important. So I think that's huge. Um, I'm going to take a quick break and then I'm going to talk about the negatives from this game. I wrote down three, well, yeah, we'll go with three negatives for the Pacers game. So we'll start with the first one, and that was Miles Turner being pushed around by Cantor, forcing Kyle O'Quinn to play this game. Um, and also mentioned Noah Vonley also pushed him around. So let's look at some stat lines real fast before I kind of get to my main point. So Noah Vonley, 14 points, 10 rebounds. Enos Cantor, 7 points, 6 rebounds. So not a huge stat line for Enos Cantor, but it felt like at times, Enos Cantor was 3 of 11 from the field, that Cantor couldn't buy a shot. Some of that was Turner, but he was getting, a, you know, Cantor had four offensive rebounds, and it felt like he was pushing Turner around off the offensive glass. Um, all those second chance points, it felt like they had to triple team Cantor to even give him to miss a shot. That was that was big, and Vonley really pushed around Turner, grabbing two offensive rebounds. It just felt like he got the better of Turner all night. And this has started to worry me at this point because Turner is not there offensively. I think he is there in terms of spatial defense. He has the ability to cover the space, the pick and roll, and things like that. Um, he has the ability to protect the rim, but he still has these kind of glaring flaws when it comes to rebounding on the offensive end. And I think that's diminishing the value. And his contract is starting to really scare me. At that four-year 72 mark, it's really going to, I think, look like a bad deal for the Pacers. Ultimately, I don't. I think he's going to, he's plateaued at this player. I think he's... A what are you averaging this season? Twelve and wow, only six rebounds. I mean, he's a twelve and six guy, which from getting eighteen million dollars is definitely not enough there. And then they'll have to pay Sabonis. That will make them paying maybe even forty million dollars because I think Sabonis might get. I mean, Sabonis keeps playing the way he's playing this year. He might get maxed out by a team in two summers, which maybe not maxed out, but like a forty or hundred million dollar deal. I mean, that's the way Turner playing is concerning, and I know he won't be can't be traded at the end of the season, but I mean. You know, I know we're only eight games in, and I've been saying harping on Turner for a while. I'm just, I'm concerned that Turner is just not doing enough on the other parts of the floor to make up for his lack of offense. So I think he's a great defender. He's a great rim protector. I think he's a really good in-space defender and recovery on times, but I think he is getting pushed around for rebounds and not scoring enough points to actually make it worth playing him. I think he'd be a, a great kind of, you know, he's probably slightly better than a backup center but not quite good enough to be a starting center at this point, and that's where it sort of falls in at $18 million. That's a lot. I mean, that's that's I mean, that's like your kind of what uh, Jonas Valanciunas makes, and that's kind of the spot he's in. Valanciunas is sort of the guy who really can't be a starting center, but also is better than a backup center. And fine, you want to pay it, but if that's an overpay, and that's going to hurt their salary cap for other players they want to get. Um, I guess maybe $18 million for a six-man, is that worth it? Probably not. I guess they're paying, theoretically, they're paying Tyreek Evans 14 to be the six-man, and if you project that forward that the cap goes up 18 for the six man is probably a decent salary i guess you could, you could say that but I, I just it feels like an overpay and at some point i feel like he's going to be traded either for a you know small forward point guard asset that can lead the team for the future until they can start the bonus um i will say i do like the turner's bonus lineups they are working i think turner did an F, both turner's bonus took an effort this summer to get better defensively to make them work they both have foul trouble issues still but they are working together and i think 
ultimately, I mean, from the eye test, so I still haven't looked up the actual plus minus because I'm waiting until we get to about game 10 before I really start to judge it. I want to get to probably 50 to 75 minutes played, maybe even above that if I can. I think they're playing about five, I would guess five to eight a game, but maybe even less than that because missed a game and there's been foul trouble. So I think it's at least 50 minutes before I start judging it. Um, but I think it's working. And maybe that's the ultimate move. Maybe Turner just adjusts into the power forward spot for the Pacers. Maybe that's what he becomes, a stretch four. Um, because defensively, he's kind of playing a little four, a little five. You can see it. He's playing against the, the perimeter guy more. Um, you know, the Knicks are a decent team you can play against. I know they go a little small at the starting lineup. Um, I guess, I mean, Von Lee, I guess you consider small. I wouldn't consider small. Canner, clearly they go, they go kind of too big. I guess they really don't go that small, so you can afford to do that when either Canner Robinson or uh, um, Von Lee is in. But I'm just concerned. It's another red flag. I'm just pointing that out. It's just a red flag. Um, I guess the number, the other part of this one is the Kyle Quinn having to come in. Um, I just, I don't know. I know they had foul trouble and they were getting pushed around, but I just don't like them having to bring in Kyle O'Quinn. That really concerns me um, because I don't think he's that good of an NBA player. I think he's great if a guy's hurt, but I don't want to see Kyle O'Quinn in the game unless a, a center is hurt. I just don't. Just keep him over there. Um, number two concern I had was the bench. Uh it continues to go up and down and up and down and up and down. It struggled on Monday against the Blazers, I think, a little bit. It struggled tonight. Um, Evans is sort of, I don't i don't know, at times it feels like he is a great passer and can hit a nice three, and at times it feels like he's just forcing up shots and is rushing things. And I don't i don't know if Evans, if it's developing into the system. I don't know if he fits here right now. I'm, You know, Turner, I know I'm quick to judge because he's been in some, but Evans, I'm kind of hesitant to judge at this moment. I want to see more from him, more games, more chemistry. Um, you know, this is the role Evans didn't have to play last year. Evans was the starting point guard on the team. He was kind of, once Collin got hurt, he became a starting point guard and was sort of kind of like the guy, I guess. So it's kind of him has to, to readjust to being on the bench role. Um, but it'll be interesting because I think Evans has the potential still. I think it's just figuring out and adjusting. Um, McDermott and Joseph both kind of struggled tonight. Um, you know, Joseph is always solid, but only six points in three of 11 shooting, or three of seven shooting, sorry. McDermott only got two shots. Um, McDermott, something that happens, sometimes he gets five, sometimes he gets one or two, it feels like. Um, they didn't put to Jaleef, I think is good. I think Leaf's on his way out of the league, to be honest. I think he's way, I mean, I'm surprised they picked up his option for next summer. But um, there's actually a stat of about 30% of the 2016 draft class, which is what Leaf was drafted in, um, right? He was 16 draft class, I believe. Yeah, this is this is his second season, so six, yeah, maybe it's a seventeen draft class. Let's look, let me look it up real quick. Um, but anyway, the stat I saw with the two thousand sixteen draft class, thirty percent of the players are out of the league. So Leaf was a seventeen draft class. That's my bad, but that's an interesting stat that thirty percent of the two thousand sixteen draft classes are already um, switching teams or going to be free agents this summer or be out of the league. Um, so that, that's kind of crazy to me. But Leaf feels like he's on his way out of here at this point. Um, I don't know what he has to do. He has to get stronger and get faster. Uh, maybe not faster, but get stronger, make a better, be a better decision maker, to actually make the lineup. Um, and then the third kind of negative I had from the game, I know this is kind of a long negative segment, but I like talking about the negatives. Um, it gets me going, gets me riled up, I guess is the right way to put it. Bojan still doesn't have a clutch bone in his body. Um, I got a response on Twitter when I said that to Tony. You can't trust me that game. It's about, okay, game three of the, the playoffs last year. And I'm sorry to say, but that's the only time Bojan's really ever stepped up. Um, you look back December against the Celtics and other games where he doesn't shoot big clutch free throws. I think Sabonis ultimately, is, or not Sabonis, Bojan, sorry, is 
not trustworthy in the games. He airballed an awesome, a great setup play, honestly. It was a great play called by McMillan to get the to get Bogdan kind of in the spot for the open three at the top of the key, and he just airballed it. He straight airballed it. Luckily, Thad Young was here to clean up his mess, but I'm I'm very concerned that uh, Bogdan isn't quite the clutch enough player to play games. I don't know who is. I mean, I think he's got to end. I mean, unless, unless Evans can overtake him, you got to play Bojan. I mean, he's been awesome offensively. I mean, I don't want to harp on his end of games because he's been so good, so good for this team everywhere else. I mean, he was four of eight tonight. Yeah, he didn't have like a huge full game, but he had an efficient game still. Um, he's, you know, he's just, and defensively, he's not, I get he's not overworldly and he's getting beat defensively in this game. He probably, I don't know, I mean, you can probably contribute a lot of Tamara's points to his crap defense, but I, I think he still gives an effort from the small forward spot that just, they don't have anybody that can do that. They don't have any really wing defenders in terms of, or forward defenders, I guess, the way to put it in. Yeah, he's not always great, but he is trying, I guess, and he's not giving up, which is something that you can't, I don't know, it's, there's something in my mind that's positive about that. You know, as at the end of the day, I still should blame for the 37 points he gave up to, to Tim Hardaway and should say he's still a terrible defender, which he's really not a great defender, but it just, he doesn't seem to give up. He's not somebody who, like, Defenders who just like sit there and get beat. I mean, I think McDermott at times it feels like he is trying hard too, but he just gets just kind of gives up and gets beat sometimes. So I don't know how to put it with Bojan, but I I just think he just doesn't have a clutch ball in his body. He keeps he keeps just not being able to hit big shots or big free throws, and it concerns me. And it's something to keep watching throughout the season. Um, but thank God for Oladipo and Thad Young. You know, Thad might not have the go-to scoring move at the end of the game, but man, Thad. Thad will do all the every little thing right. He was in the right position to get that rebound to out to Vic at the right moment. Vic is just Vic is clutch, and that's that's where this whole thing is. Vic is one of the clutchest players in the NBA, I think. Um, I don't know the numbers, but last season he was, and he continues to be, and that's something that for a Pacer player I haven't seen in a while, and it's super duper exciting. That's all I got for his Locked On Pacers podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Locked On Pacers. We will be back, like I said, on Mon- on Saturday with our podcast. We're going to skip Friday. We're not going to preview the Bulls game. Hopefully they'll whip the Bulls' butts. If they don't, I will be eating my words, and I will do a podcast on that. Then um, Tony and I will be back on Monday with our weekly show. As always, you can um, listen to our other pods from the week. We did a weekly show on Tuesday. You can listen to Tony's podcast from yesterday. Preview the next game. Might not be worth it, but you can check out other pods we have. Um, hopefully to get some more guests this, this month now that it's November. Thanks for sticking with us this month, guys. We really appreciate it. We saw the huge growth this month, and I want to thank you guys. We definitely saw the increase, and we appreciate all you guys listening to our podcast because it's what makes it worth it is you guys out there. You know, We love talking about the Pacers, but you guys' support and your guys' comments and tweets to us is what keeps us going and keeps us wanting to keep doing this podcast. So thank you, guys. I think we hit above 30000 this month, which is huge for us. So thank you. I can't say thank you from Tony. Thank you from me. That's all for this Lockdown Pacers podcast, and I really hope you guys have a great rest of your day.